M A I N M U N U Main Menu Main Menu Welcome indeed to another main menu for Wednesday, the 4th of February 2009. I'm Chrissy Cochran guiding you through this program. What do we have today? Well, in about 27 minutes or so, we have a feature on the Opticon. Remember that? Ah, if you don't know of the Opticon, be prepared to be amazed. It's a wonderful piece of machinery and possibly due for resurgence. First of all, however, we come to Station Playlist Part the Second. Lynn White delves into more of the goodies of Station Playlist, what you can do with it, how you can use it for broadcasting. So, stick around, and let's see what Lynn has got to offer us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, it's main menu at acbradio.org, or if you want to subscribe to that list, it's main menu-subscribe at acbradio.org. If you look at our website... It's mainmenu.acbradio.org. Main menu being all one word, by the way. Mainmenu.acbradio.org. If you'd like to subscribe to our friends list, it's mainmenu-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. That's mainmenu-friends-subscribe at acbradio.org. But you don't want to hear me burbling. Let's hear Lynn White instead. No, he's not burbling. Really, he isn't. No, he's telling us some good information about Station Playlist. This is the second part of his tutorial. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Station Playlist tutorial. Once again, I'm Lynn White. And today we're going to study more about inserting files. And we're also going to learn about adding files. However, however before we do that, I'd like to talk to you about something that I really meant to cover in lesson one and just flat out forgot all about it and my apologies to you. There is an excellent resource on the Station Playlist website which I'd like to direct you to. The URL for Station Playlist is www.stationplaylist.com dot com www.stationplaylist.com and I would recommend that you look at the FAQ on the uh, on the first page it will go into all kinds of terminologies such as rotations categories schedules and all of that, and explain you know uh, what the ter- the general terms mean, and especially how it relates to station playlist. Another resource I'd like to recommend to you is the station playlist email list, uh, and that is a wonderful uh, email list. It's very unique because it is mixed in with sighted, blind folks, people who have high degrees of skill using Station Playlist, and people who are just beginning. And it's uh, it's the list for you. I can I can assure you that it is. It is a wonderful list. It really is. Highly recommend it. And to subscribe to that email list. 
send a blank email, as I'm sure many of you are used to doing. But you'll send this blank email to stationplaylist-subscribe at yahoogroups.com. Stationplaylist-subscribe at yahoogroups.com. Now, you may take a different approach to life as than what I do. I'm sure mo- mo- many of you do. and We all look at things and through different eyes. You can download a demo of Studio, of uh, Creator, of the streamer that they have. And uh, I may even be missing a product or two. You can download these programs and you can use them for a 30-day period of time. And and then you can uh, you can you have to reinstall it after 30 days, but you, you get a chance to do that uh, four times. And that might be a great way to do things because it really lets you know if Station Playlist, Studio, or Creator is for you. It may not be. And if it's not, well, hey, I love you anyway. <laughs> so there you go. But uh, so if this tutorial doesn't, if it whets your appetite, that might be the way to do it. Now, I'll be honest with you. What I did was I just went out and bought it because I figured if I put my money down, then I would learn it. And that was that. Okay, let's get started, shall we? As we rem- as you remember the last time we we saved a playlist that's called that was called test. And uh as you could tell, probably some of you were laughing. I have it in my music files because that's just how I was brought up when I was learning Winamp. So that's what we that's how I do my manual playlist that I create. So we're going to open up this playlist. And as it turned out, I had it there. So let's just go ahead and open it. And remember, we've got our start hour. So we're going to hit the space bar. And we're there. And guess what? As you can tell, we're again at 21 hours. And the reason for that is because... I wanted to record this at a time when it was quiet in my house, and so I chose to do that. Okay, so let's see. We had uh, Jim Snowbarger. Oh, let's see. We don't have that yet. Mm, okay, I kind of cheated a while ago, and I forgot that I that I did. So we're gonna do that. Okay, there we go. Okay, we got that. Okay, now. Okay, so we have. Um. Oh, you know what? I I erased one of my songs, but that's okay. So we have memories are made of these, and that's that's here. And uh, and actually, I forgot what I had in here before uh, because I kind of played around with this a little bit since since then. But okay, let's just assume that we've got memories are made of these by Dean Martin. And I told you about how we could insert files. So we did that. So now I want to talk to you about a couple of ways of adding files. 
And in the process, it gives me a chance to kind of backtrack on something that I really should have covered in lesson one and didn't. So we'll cover it and still be able to move forward. So remember to add, insert, add or insert files from studio. We're going to hit shift and insert. And you notice that we come up and it says, what kind of track do we, do we want this to be? And, and uh, we kind of skimmed over that on part one. But I'd like to just show you what's here. And you would find this out if you were arrowing. And I could tell you, well, just let's just leave it that way. But I want you to, to know, in case you get lost, that this is what you can expect. So the first one is general tracks. Going to arrow down. It says general spot. Arrow down again. Time spot. And those are pretty self-explanatory. I won't go into details about what those are. The next one is break note. Okay, we'll write arrow. Oh, no, we can, we can do this. Okay, arrow down, and it's um, time break. And again, I'm not going to go into explaining what those are at this moment. And then we've got voice intro. So those are the six, so the the six options that you have. Uh, generally, well, no, no, generally about it. I use the general track. So I'm going to go there, and and unfortunately, uh, uh, hitting control home doesn't seem to work so you just have to arrow back to them so that's where you are when you first hit your shift and insert so okay so we're now going to tab and we we did insert files on lesson one we now want to learn about adding files so we uh, tab to add files we hit the space bar and if you knew the if you knew the the exact file path, you could type that in, but that's not me. Sorry about that. I don't work that way. <laughs> okay. So, <clears throat> all right. So, we're now <clears throat> we now are going to go to to uh, my pop group. And we're going to uh, go to rock, I guess. Okay. And let's go ahead and do. And let's go ahead and do ABBA. It won't hurt. And we're going to open up that album selection. And knowing me, knowing you. Ah, one of my favorite ABBA tunes. So we're going to hit enter. We're first going to highlight it, and then we're going to hit enter. Now, if that's all we were going to do, we could just basically hit close. But when you're doing this, there's a handy little trick that I want to show you. So let's tab. Ah, now, 
It says zero 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 zero. I don't know why it does that. But if I arrow down, knowing me, knowing you by ABBA. There it is. Okay. So now we know that this is tentatively in the playlist. But we're not going to stop there in adding files. We're going to add one more to illustrate a point. All right. So we're going to add files again. We're going to hit the space. We're going to, okay, I'm sorry. We're at our list view. ABBA, knowing me, knowing you. We're going to shift tab. And we're going to back to add files, hit the space bar. All right. And I'm now going to go to another uh, something else, another artist. And that will be Air Supply. And, um, okay. And we'll do Don't Throw Our Love Away. So we're going to, we're going to highlight that one and hit Enter. Okay, we're going to Tab. And we're going to, we're going to Up Arrow. There's ABBA. Don't throw our love away. It's in our list view. So now, if we wanted to add those files to the playlist, we're going to uh, highlight it by hitting Control A, Standard Windows Command. Okay. We're going to tab over to Close and hit the space bar. Okay. Now, we're at the bottom of the playlist, and at the bottom of the playlist is Dean Martin. Going to hit a control home and show you what's there now. We have our we have our uh, our hour marker. We have Jim Snowbarger still. We have Dean Martin. Ah, what happened? Well, they didn't get added. Well, that's okay, because we're going to just go back in our playlist, our our, um, our list, and so we're going to now hit your insert and shift, because it didn't take it. Okay. And... Okay. We tabbed over to our list. We found that, guess what? They're there. And we're going to now highlight them again. Mm-hmm. And let's do it. Okay. And um, now. Okay, let's see what happened here. Okay, for some reason, it doesn't want to do it, so okay. All right, oh, I know why, because I didn't hit the insert. <laughs> hit that, and that, yeah, there is the there is also an insert button, so we will now hit close. 
And guess what? There we go. Now we got it. So let me explain what I did wrong so that you will see. Let's go back into the insert again, and we're going to look at this. All right. And. Okay. We're going to go back to our list files. We're going to see them. And we've got those. And we would have, and had I been thinking about what I was doing, when I hit the, um, when I hit the, uh, when I highlighted the songs with the control A, the next step was to go to insert. And it's a, it's the next tab. And you just spacebar on that. And then you can hit close and you're just fine. Okay. So there you are. Okay, so now let's look at where we are. Where, what's on our playlist? Okay, our marker. Jim. Abba is now moved up to the top uh, next to Jim because that's how I put it in. And then air supply, don't throw our love away. Now I want to quickly show you something else, another way of adding files. And that is by going into Windows Explorer. And I want to show this to you quickly because we've got about mm, 10 minutes or so left to the time that we all think that uh, your attention would be held. So <laughs> we're going to try to stay within that time if we can. So I've got Internet, I've got Windows Explorer opened. And I'm going to now... I've got open in Explorer uh, a Christian group called For Him and an album called The Basics of Life. And that is in Windows Explorer. And I'm going to open that up. Okay. All right. So I'm going to pick out The Basics of Life and I'm going to put it in the clipboard by doing a control shift right arrow and I'm going to copy it to the clipboard okay now I don't want to cut this I just want it to be in the clipboard right now gonna go back to studio alright uh, I'm at the bottom of the playlist and I'm going to paste this into studio and hopefully it winds up at the bottom of the list now you may say okay I, I understand Windows command so that would be obviously uh, control V not in this case it's going to be alt P when you're when you're bringing a file when you're dragging it in from Windows Explorer so let's do that alt P Okay. Now, of course, it would work out that it did not put it on the bottom. It put it near the top. Or it put it second song up. This is not always working out the way that it's supposed to. But it should put it. But what it does do, I will explain this to you is that it puts it near the bottom. If you need to change it, you can always manipulate it 
which we'll do. Let's just let's just put Dean Martin in his place. So we're going to hit a alt a shift um, control shift and right arrow. We're going to put it in the clipboard. We're going to cut it. We're going to move up an air, a spot where for him is. We're going to do a a control V. And guess what? There he is in his right spot. For him is now on the bottom of the playlist. Now, the reason for using this method in Internet Explorer, uh, not Internet Explorer, but Windows Explorer, is because, let's say you're doing a live show and someone says, I'd like to hear She Loves You by the Beatles. And you don't have it on your playlist, but you want to be a good DJ and follow copyright rules and all that. And you're not going to tell this person that it's coming up within three minutes after they requested it. You're not going to tell them that, but you're going to go get it and have it ready so that in a reasonable time it will play. So that's the time. That's the quickest way to put that, that song it at the bottom of the playlist or somewhere where you can get to it. Now, I will also, in playlist, I if somebody requests a song, I'll go get it, and I will put it, if, I, if I'm somewhere in the middle of my playlist, I'll go get it, I'll, um, in, in studio, go get it, and I'll paste it by doing it that way. But either one works. It's a good deal. I want to show you one other thing before we close, and that is about song properties. And let me see. Okay. Okay. Here's this song, Air Supply, Don't Throw Our Love Away. If this song had been imported um, through some other means where it caused the, the track to, to read funny, it might say something like this if I was looking at it. As I was arrowing through my playlist, it would say something like, 03, air supply, don't throw our love away. Well, that's not displaying properly. So, you want to make sure that if it's, if it's, not, if it's not displaying correctly in, in playlist then you want to go into song properties and you want to fix it. So you want to check the song. You want to go into song properties by hitting alt and enter. Now don't let that fool you because that's how it displays in properties, but it's okay. It's just fine. We want to tab. Okay. And all right. Now from where I am, uh, the the next tab was tab was canceled. No, we don't want to cancel. The next is delete SPL. No, 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 no. Don't delete it. Don't do that. But you do want to do the next. Read foreign tag. And yes, you want to be able to read the foreign tag on this song. So you will hit a space bar. Now, I don't have time to go into this uh, real quickly, but I will tell you that if a song is not properly tagged, you can tag it in studio.
by going through the song properties. You, if you have the the song, the <clears throat> the title, the artist, and the album, chances are you will be able to go. Well, let me just show you real quick. I, you need to know about this. Okay, we're going to tab past some things that are rather obvious. Okay. Okay. And let's say that my record label didn't have um, a publisher in it. Then I would tab to where it says, look up, look up button. And I would hit the space bar and I would tab, I would tab and it would tell me you're I'm, I've got it set to view Amazon US. I'm going to tab again and and it says view with a button. You'll space bar that and so that your computer has a chance to go out and our studio has a chance to go out and look at Amazon. I'll go back, look at the record label. It's going to be just fine. And I'm then going to say, okay, which, which I'm going to do and get out of this. All right. Okay. So that will bring us to the end of this. And I hope it was successful. I hope you enjoyed it. In our next tutorial, we'll look at a couple of other things in studio, and then we'll look at station at uh, station playlist creator. So for now, I'm Lynn White, returning you back to Main Menu and our host. Thanks very much, Lynn. And Lynn is a broadcaster on ACB Radio Interactive. If you look at the ACB Radio Interactive um, schedule page, you will find when his program is on. I'm sure you haven't forgotten, but just in case you have, let me remind you that you are listening to Main Menu on ACB Radio Mainstream. How many people listening to this show are old enough to remember when the Opticon first came out? All right, I hear screeches. What the heck is an Opticon? An Opticon was a marvellous piece of equipment that predated scanners, or the, the, the scanners to the degree that we use them now. And it enabled you to read print. Um, it had a little uh, camera device on a cable, and it plugged it, and uh, the Opticon, you, you rested your finger on this little pad, and up came little pins for the representation of the letters. It's an amazing piece. Anyway, it looks as though there might be a bit of resurgence in it, because it came out when... Circuitry was still relatively primitive, and so there are all sorts of new features that could be added to it, and I think people are beginning to revive interest. Mary Emerson brings us a little feature on the Opticon. Hello, everyone. This is Mary Emerson from California, and I wonder how many of you recognize the following voice from a main menu broadcast, which aired on ACB Radio Mainstream in December of 2002. 
Talk to a die-hard Opticon user and they'll tell you that no technology out there can do what the Opticon can do, that no other technology makes it as easy to quickly check the layout of a printed page or read material fast than an Opticon. Yet the Opticon isn't being produced at the moment. They are as scarce as hen's teeth and those that are still functioning are getting more and more difficult to maintain. Well, the Opticon is no longer being produced, but maybe there's hope. Oh, indeed, there is hope. But at this point, Jonathan went on to talk about another product. However, there are still a lot of Opticon users out there, and we are still as enthusiastic, even more so, I guess, for many of us, right now about the Opticon than we were when we first started to use it, because there are a few people in the world who are still repairing Opticons and doing a fabulous job of it, and there is even an email list for those of us who are enthusiastic about the Opticon and still like to share how we use it, and I'll give you information about that at the end of this broadcast. I'll talk a little more later on about what the Opticon looks like, but for now, let's find out what's so exciting about it and why people continue to use it. I'm Meryl Woolnow. I've been using the Opticon for 35 years. I was initially trained to use the Opticon to do my programming work to read printouts on green bar paper and the writing that was at the top of key punch cards. I was the one who was always finding someone to change the ribbons in the key punch machines so that I could review my work and fortunately there were several of the programmers who had come up through the ranks and knew how to do that. Today I am well past green bar paper and key punch cards. Those are, I suppose, historical records at this point. I use my Opticon to verify my printing to be sure that things are positioned correctly on the page after they've printed out, that I know where to sign a piece of paper, that I can turn a check the right way so that I know where to sign it, and I review recipes in cookbooks. I find an Opticon is excellent for sussing out the exact measurements, particularly when fractions are involved. I would strongly recommend the reintroduction of the Opticon for use by all people who need it because it can do things that scanners just can't do. This is uh, Steve Polo from Lansing, Michigan. I use my Opticon at work for uh, reading organization charts, looking up provisions in contracts that would take uh, quite a bit longer if you had to do it uh, through one of the computerized scanning programs. I also have used the Opticon for hobbies uh, such as uh, looking at circuit diagrams, reading hand-printed information from significant others. My name is Paula Meisenberg. I learned to use the Opticon in 1979. I used it for books, medicine bottles, package directions, phone bills, bank statements. I even learned to read Greek and Hebrew with it when I was studying those languages in college. After I got married in 1988, I didn't use my Opticon much and it eventually quit working for that reason. Later I got a scanner and a computer and software and everything and I used those to read books. But I still missed the Opticon because there were times when there was just no substitute for being able to see something for yourself on a page. And a couple of years ago I got mine repaired and found that I could still read with it with no problem. I use it a lot for bookshare editing. I can read simple charts and diagrams with it so that I can include descriptions in the book. 
and also it helps with unscrambling sidebars that get mixed up in the text when the book is scanned or just checking for simple errors where it seems like a word didn't scan in properly. So I keep mine on my desk now and I still get a lot of use out of it. There are simply things that an Opticon can do that a scanner can't. I'm Steve Bauer from Wichita, Kansas. I have been an Opticon user since 1977 and I was introduced to the Opticon as part of the requirements to obtain a new job back in 1977. I took the training, which was to have lasted two weeks, but since fortunately I had had a little bit of vision and remembered what print looked like, I really didn't need the full two weeks. I used the Opticon to read a variety of things at work, memos, letters, and other documents. Also used the CRT lens for some of my work to read off of an old uh, 3270 terminal back in those days. I'm actually on my second Opticon, which I got in, I think, 1984. And all I can say is I use this device every single day of my life for something. And I just don't know what i do without it. I really would have a tough time trying to imagine all of the things that I would not be able to do if I didn't have the Opticon. Of course, today there's a lot less print material to be read at work, mainly because so much has gone electronic, email and spreadsheets and Word docs and things like that. But it still comes in very handy in reviewing incoming mail. Also, I do some broadcasting and I receive a lot of CDs in the mail. And if these CDs are not in the database, I need to get the track information. So I'm able to read just about all of them. Not all CDs because some, unfortunately, are printed in real different and unusual colors and with some weird fonts. But most of the time, I can pretty well make them out. Where I find the Opticon the biggest help is in verifying that I have addressed an envelope correctly, in signing checks, in verifying that I'm printing on the correct side of the letterhead, and the list could just go on and on. It's the little things where the Opticon, for me, really stands out. One thing I'd like to do is to use different fonts to well, convey a certain image. And since I can remember what fonts look like, it's pretty easy to identify fonts with the Opticon. And you just can't do that with a scanner. Fortunately, I've got a second Opticon that is packed away, stored securely in a safe place. I hope I never have to use it because I hope this one that I have just continues working forever. Because without the Opticon, I'd just totally be lost. I use it for the usual things such as reading mail, reading books... I have done my income taxes with the assistance of the Opticon for nearly 20 years, reading all the W-2 forms and the 1099 and all that stuff. All of my CD collection and all the commercial tapes that I have, all of my DVDs and most of the LPs, vinyl, I still have some of those, have been labeled with the assistance of the Opticon, also the books that I have. When I worked, I used it to read the screen every day, 40 hours a week, for 15 years until I got a Braille display. I was a computer programmer, a technical writer, and a system support programmer. As a technical writer, I had responsibility for books that had a lot of syntax diagrams in them, and I was responsible for all of those. I've also installed Windows from the ground up onto a number of PCs when there was no screen reader available. I can read a CRT screen, and lately I've been able to read LCD screens. A couple years ago, I 
installed Windows in a non-standard way because the video and audio drivers had to be installed on the machine before Windows would even boot up. I've also read appliance directions and labels on appliances themselves to figure out what the buttons did. I live independently without any sighted assistance and I just couldn't do that without the Opticon. And it's just been a fabulous part of my life since 1976 when I got my first one. Here is an excerpt from the January 2009 Braille Forum. This is an article called Please Bring Back the Opticon. You had absolute control over what you read. Because the camera rested on the material to be read, you could read things that were curved, such as labels on soup cans or medicine bottles, without first removing the label. You could make adjustments for the size, color, and boldness of the print, as well as for the intensity of the vibrations. If the text was complicated by graphics, insets, sidebars, and other such things, you, and not the machine, decided how best to deal with them. Because the device did not talk to you, your imagination gave voice to what you read, as it does when you read Braille or a sighted person reads print. When you turn the machine on, you didn't have to wait for it to warm up, and you didn't have to wait for it to scan an entire page. It was read as you go. There was even an optional magnifying lens for extremely small print, and an optional typewriter attachment which enabled you to read what you were typing. And here's part of a demo from a podcast that was aired on Blind Cool Tech back in June of 2006. This was a demo in which an Opticon user was showing a couple of other people a machine, and one of the individuals who was observing the demo actually got to read a few letters. And for a lot of us Opticon users, it brings back a lot of memories of what it was like when we first started reading print. I feel, oh, I don't feel uh, the, the left side of the circle. Maybe but better? I do feel a circle. I, I t- almost... Yeah, you have to roll it. There we go. There's yeah. something. That's what I'm saying. As you track sometimes, you... And I'll move it to the right. You can see if you see an L. Let's see. I'm not, I'm not sure where I am. Like This is a... Oh, uh, that feels... Do you feel like <coughs> a, a line going down? I feel a line going down. That's an L. Okay. And there should be another L. I don't know if I passed it. Oh, are we on visually? No, college. Oh, college, okay. Maybe there's an E somewhere. This is, oh, that felt like an E, sort of. Okay. (laughs) I feel a line on top, sort of, or something on top, something going out to the side. That's an E. Okay. That's, wow. Let's see, G. You get excited about these things. (laughs) See if you, if you, a G somewhere? Uh, part of it, but. It's Maybe. a drunk G. <laughs> okay. Kind I mean, of I'm, I'm, I'm on a weird angle. Too. Oh, wait. Yes, yes. Sorry, I can be persuaded that and that's then, a G. <laughs> and then if I keep going, you should get another E. See, now the E is the bottom of the E. There we go. Now we, now that's an E. <laughs> college, there we go. College. Well, now what's the, see, now there's a space. I can yes, tell there is. Because there's it, no and sound. it stopped. And speaking of reading, here is a bit of me reading from a book. This is not merely a new edition of an old book. It is, I'm going down to the next line, in many ways a completely new book. 
So what is an Opticon and what's so good about it? Well, an Opticon is a device manufactured originally by Telesensory which has a box with a tactile array on which you place your finger. Connected to the box is a camera, and although there are attachments for screens, etc., most people would use that camera to run along a printed page, and the shape of the print letters is transferred to the tactile array. As you heard, when the Opticon was being used, there were buzzing sounds coming from the machine. As the camera encounters a character, it takes the image that it sees and reproduces it in a little finger plate, which we call an array. This array contains a number of rows and columns of vibrating reeds or pins, and these pins or reeds vibrate in a certain way that causes the buzz to occur. When there is no character under the camera, there is no sound. There are two models of the Opticon. There is the R1, which contains more pins and therefore is capable of reproducing more detailed images from the camera. There is also the Opticon 2, in which the finger plate or array is smaller and the images are less detailed and sometimes people have called the images a little more mushy. There have been efforts to recreate the Opticon with modern technology. One of the big problems that has occurred is that there just hasn't been a way to reproduce the array with off-the-shelf parts. The array is the most important part of the machine, and repair people are finding that it is the most difficult to maintain. There have been quite a number of discussions on the Opticon list about what we would like to see in a new Opticon. And one of the things that is practically unanimous is that we would like the ability to read print as quickly as we've been able to in the past. One of the big, big advantages of the Opticon is that you don't need a PC, you don't need a scanner, you can just pick up a piece of paper or a book or something else and read print immediately. You just turn on the machine and adjust one or two little knobs and there you are reading your item of print totally independently without having to use a scanner without all the details of scanning and then having the output spoken or created on your computer screen for you the accessibility of the Opticon is one of the big pluses of the machine it was portable enough that you could even carry it around to a bookstore and use it to read books I used to cart the thing back and forth to work in my first few years of work it was just so portable it had a shoulder strap in fact the Opticon 2 was even lighter and smaller than the model R1 I have looked at other languages with the Opticon I've seen Chinese characters I've seen Cyrillic characters I've seen Japanese characters and it's been absolutely fascinating because whatever the camera sees is what you're going to feel. One of the problems that caused some people to shy away from it is the extensive practice that was required. First of all, you had to have training because you had to learn how to use the machine correctly, how to track across a page without veering too far up or too far down off the image. You also learned various types of printed characters, different print fonts, letters and numbers, punctuation. And after you learned the alphabet and the numbers and the punctuation, you started learning about page formats, how paragraphs are written on pages, different type styles, different print fonts, how newspapers were written, how columns were written on a page, how computer printouts were written. And then you got to read different types of books just to look at how the books were written, how pictures appeared in the middle of pages. 
And on the Opticon, there is a reverse mode, although on the Opticon 2, there are three settings instead of two. In the first model of the Opticon, there was a regular print mode, which allowed you to read dark print on a light background in an inverse video mode, which was the reverse mode. You learned about light print on a dark background, and that was also the way that you read computer screens before color screens came out. So you learned a lot of stuff, and the training generally took about 50 hours, and you could get training either at Telesensory in Palo Alto, California, or you could also get it from a center for the blind, or as in my case, I got mine privately one-on-one -on -one with a teacher, and my training was one week, which was five days of about six hours, and then a couple of Saturday afternoons because I did it in the middle of computer school during a summer break. So it worked out quite well. Once you got to figure out how pages were set up, then you could, as in my case, graduate to reading computer screens. And that was quite interesting because I was actually able to read the screen just like anybody else. And my sighted colleagues could look at the screen and see what I was doing. And then in order to build up your reading speed, you had to use the machine every day for a while just to get your skills up. So a lot of blind people didn't want to have to go through all of that training, but it opened up so many employment and educational possibilities for a lot of us. Oftentimes, I describe our society that we live in as a microwave society. Put it in, turn it on, take it out. And I think because of that, that's why the Opticon sort of had an uphill battle. Because it wasn't immediate and instant gratification. It took some work, and it took some effort, and it took some practice to get to where you could really use it. But once you pass that magic threshold, you're off and running. The Opticon just simply stands out over other technologies, and I am still amazed at the number of blind people who've not only never even tried it, but never have even wanted to try it. In 2004, I did a session of Blind Like Me, which was an ACB radio broadcast that was hosted by Phil Parr, and we were talking a bit about the Opticon, and here is part of that conversation. We're not far away from now from having a piece of equipment that will give you the speech orally. I've been reading some things about that, that you'll be able to slide this thing along a page and it'll read the page to you as you go and, and speak it. That'll be handy. Will you give up the Opticon then? No. No. No, she never will. You'll die with your Opticons. You will. His comment reflects the feelings of a lot of Opticon users. And what have we been doing to keep the Opticon alive? Well, we have made some things available electronically. First of all, the Opticon documentation, the owner's manuals for the Opticon R1 and the Opticon 2 were scanned in electronically. I did that a couple of years ago. Someone else on the Opticon list got copies of the training materials and converted them to PDF files. These are files that need to be printed out. The training materials were all used during the training process. These were not books that you actually sat down and read. The training manuals had a very specific format. Usually what happened was there was a vertical line going down the page from top to bottom. Off to the left there were bits of information for the teacher, different labeled items that described what was on the right side of the page, 
as a student, you didn't really get to look at the left side of the page. But on the right side of the page, there were letters, lines of letters that you could practice with. There were short paragraphs. And in the more advanced training, there were pages that were formatted like computer printouts, like newspapers, like magazines and books. So these pages were not meant to be read as instructions on how to teach. They actually were training manuals that were used during the time when a teacher was teaching a student. So because of this, they had to be formatted in PDF files so that they could be printed out as precisely as what originally occurred in the book. Where can you find all of this training material and user documentation? Out on the Freedom Scientific website. You go to freedomscientific.com. That's all one word. You go down to documentation and press enter on that. And the very last item will be Opticon documentation, and you press enter on that. Specifically, the Freedom Scientific site contains, I'm reading this in Braille, so I'm going to give you a quick list here. Opticon owner's manual, model R1D, that's in a text file. Opticon 2 user manual, model R2A, and that's in a text file an Opticon user manual addendum R2B. That's also in a text file. I also have scanned copies of the instructions for the CRT lens. In fact, I have two versions of that. One was printed in 1977 and the other one was printed sometime around 1982. The training manuals, the following items are on this site. Opticon teaching guidelines. These are all PDF files. Opticon Training Stage 1 Grapheme Recognition, that's G-R-A-P-H-E-M-E. -E. Opticon Training Stage 2 Text for Speed Building. Opticon Scanner Pacing Lessons and Opticon Independent Practice Manual. And these are all out there. And we've had a couple of people learn to use the Opticon by just downloading and printing out all this stuff. As far as the text files go, you can actually download them and have them read to you on your PC because they are text files, or you can print them out in some other accessible form. Freedom Scientific does not repair or rebuild Opticons. You would need to contact a repair technician to do that. The best way to find out about Opticon repair people is to join the Opticon email list. And to do that, you send a message to the following. Opticon, that's O-P as in Paul, T as in tactile, A-C-O-N as in Nancy, dash L dash request, that's R-E-Q-U-E-S-T, at freelists, F-R-E-E-L-I-S-T-S dot org. And... In the subject line, you type the word subscribe and send that off, and that will get you onto the list. There's a YouTube channel that is devoted to preserving the history of the Opticon and possibly to generate interest in a new Opticon, and this YouTube channel is located at the following link http colon slash slash www dot youtube that's 
Y-O-U-T-U-B is in boy, E, dot com slash Opticon Movies. That's all written together. O-P as in people, T-A-C-O-N as in Nancy, M as in movies, O-V as in victory, I-E-S. And on that site, you will find a link to somebody that you can contact if you have something else to add to the channel. Right now, what's up there is uh, a few old 16mm film reels, and the quality isn't the best, the sound isn't even very good, but at least the information is up there. I would like to thank everybody who has assisted me in putting this broadcast, or feature, whatever you would call it, together. People who have submitted comments about the Opticon and how they've used it. Various people around the world who have repaired and cleaned and shipped out Opticons and done fabulous work and helped to keep this wonderful machine alive. We can't leave these people out. I can't name names because I don't know everybody who's been working on this for so long, but we are so grateful to all of you who have worked to keep this machine alive and well. People who have made suggestions. Everybody on the Opticon list who has had something to say or just thought about something to say. Various podcasters, different people who have talked to me about the Opticon. People on ACB Radio Mainstream who have had features about the Opticon or who have mentioned it in various broadcasts. Just a whole host of people who have been aware of the Opticon. I've run across a lot of people, especially younger people, who didn't even know that the Opticon exists and didn't know that it was even manufactured. And I've run across various people who have known the Opticon existed and wished that they had used one or managed to get one or get training to use one. And sad to say, there are Opticons that are just sitting around in people's closets or garage or attic or something, and they're just not being used. One thing we would like to see is to see these Opticons repaired and cleaned and recirculated to people who would like to use them, because there are a lot of folks out there who were Opticon users, and they just never got around to having one of their own. And yet, when they had them in school or at work or in some other situation, perhaps a rehab center, they grew to really, really appreciate the Opticon and the possibilities that it opened up, and they would love to have a machine. Thank you for listening to this. It's been a lot of fun to put together. If you would like to contact me, my email address is Mary Emerson, M-A-R-Y-E-M-E-R-S-O-N, at SBC Global, Sam Baker Charlie, G-L-O-B, as in boy, A-L, dot net. I do have a comment line. It's area code 206-736-7762. Thank you, and bye for now. Bye, Mary, and thanks very much. And I regret to say I am one of those people that have an Opticon R1 sitting in a closet bemoaning the fact that it's not used. Um, I'm not even sure what state it's in. The other thing I should mention that wasn't necessarily made clear is from the point of view of portability, the Opticon has a rechargeable battery therein. So you can literally pick the thing up and take it down to your local bookstore or whatever. That's absolutely wonderful. I, I hope it, um, it flourishes. I really do. Well, this has been Main Menu. I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, 
Thanks to Lynn, thanks to Mary. On behalf of Nama Eris, our executive producer and the team, this is Chrissy Cochran wishing you good listening to ACB Mainstream. While you're listening, it's our business.